Hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to everyone who is joining us through the live stream. It's good to be able to live stream as a church, too. I'm very glad that that's taking place today. I'm so thankful to be here with my wife and with my two children. Elsie is three and Robert is one. And the fact that, El that Aubrey is taking care of both of them just proves that that woman is a saint. It's, uh, kids are hard, so... Um, like, much harder than I thought. Much more wonderful, but much more challenging. Thank you to the buskers who furnished us with some gummy bears, which uh, buys us about a minute of silence per gummy bear. So we're thankful for those also. I am the lead pastor at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church in Orland Park, Illinois. I've been serving there for seven years. I came there right from seminary. Um, one story that I love to tell when I'm in a new place is a little bit about how I approached going into the ministry because my grandfather, my grandfather Dirk Berksma, who was right on the cusp of his 93rd birthday, he was instrumental in drawing me to, and uh, leading me, directing me to the ministry when I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, just beginning my senior year, and uh, my grandpa Berksma sat me down and he told me, Derek, my whole life, I've been praying that one of my grandsons would become a minister of the gospel, and you're the only one left. <laughs> and so that, that felt like a lot of pressure. But uh, he said that he thought that that was the right place for me to go, and I'm really thankful that in God's providence that he led me through college and then into seminary, and then for my first sermon... I was interning in Michigan, and my grandpa, Berksma, got to preach in the morning, and I got to preach in the evening, and I'm thankful for the fact that God has put a call to the ministry on my life. I'm so glad that I get to serve Orland Park CRC. I'm so grateful to be here with you this morning. Today, we're going to be uh, hearing from a portion of Luke 24, 13 to 49. So, this is a really key section of Scripture for understanding what the Bible is about. The Bible is the story of Jesus, and, and Jesus shows that to us as he's walking on the road to Emmaus here. And so I'm going to read Luke 24, verse 13 to 34, and let's remember as we hear this that this is God's word, that this is God speaking to us. Luke 24, starting at verse 13, says, On that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. 
And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this important section of Scripture. We praise you for the beauty of Luke 24 and for how it can transform our understanding about the Bible. We pray, Lord, that now as we hear a message on this beautiful section of Scripture, that you would speak and that we would hear. Give us attentive ears. Help us to hear, listen, and respond. We pray that if anything that I say doesn't come from you, that you would make it fall to the ground and pass away and be forgotten. And we pray that everything that is from you would remain and strengthen our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to be somebody who understands what the Bible is all about, if you want to really get both the Old and the New Testaments, you have to spend some time in Luke 24. Luke 24 is fundamental to understand what the Old Testament and New Testament about. Because in Luke 24, we have Jesus himself letting us into what the scriptures are all about. That's one of the things that's so cool about Luke 24 is that as Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples of his, he opens up the Bible and tells them what the Bible is all about. And as for a Bible teacher, there is no better Bible teacher that we should choose than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so if you and I want to understand what the Bible is about, we need to spend time in Luke 24. And so what I'm going to do right now is walk us through the text. I'm going to talk about two different sections of it. First, we're going to talk about these depressed disciples that Jesus is encouraging, and then we're going to talk about the sermon that Jesus is preaching, the Savior's sermon there, and it helps us to understand, as we take a look at this, what the Bible is about. What the Bible is about. So let's first take a look at these disciples. These two disciples were only given one of the disciples' name. It's an individual named Cleopas. Church tradition, for those of you that like some of the background stuff, I know that some of the background stuff can be interesting. Uh, church tradition says the other one is Cleopas's son, who became a bishop in the church, a man named Simon. So Cleopas and this other disciple are walking and having a discussion. They're having this intense debate about what's going on, and Jesus walks up behind them and asks them what they're talking about. And he can see deep hurt and disappointment because they stand 
with their faces downcast. That's what the text says. They're standing with their faces downcast. These are two depressed, downcast disciples. And they had said, are you the only one that doesn't know what's been going on in Jerusalem? Are you the only one that has no idea what just took place? Are you the only person that didn't know that Jesus died this weekend? And then they say this really interesting phrase, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. They had for a period of time, for the three years of Christ's earthly ministry, they had thought, wow, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one that's going to redeem Israel. They had put their hope and their understanding of what Jesus had come to do, and they had hoped that he was going to be the one to bring in the kingdom, to restore the people of Israel, to throw off the Romans. They had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And now that Jesus had died, it seemed like their hope had died along with him. But the tragedy of this, and the reason that these two disciples are so sad, and the reason they're so depressed, is deeper than that. Because David was promised way back in First. Chronicles 17, that one of his descendants would always be on the throne. These two disciples, therefore, were hoping that this would be one of those descendants who would ascend to the throne and that God would continue to fulfill his promise to David and his descendants that one of these children of David would always be on the throne. But the throne had been away from the people of Israel. They'd been under the rule of the Romans for a period of time, and so it seemed like God's promises had failed. And so they had hoped in Jesus that he might restore the kingdom of Israel and that through that and in that, the promises of God would be fulfilled in this person, Jesus. But with his death, it felt like all of that had faded away. The prophets had foretold that salvation for Israel would come and that it would come from a child of David, a descendant of David. And it seemed to the disciples that this Jesus had been the one's the one that the prophets had testified to. But with his death, it seemed like all of those prophecies, well, they weren't coming to pass. At least not in the person of Jesus. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That dried up hope, I don't know, I I feel like you could feel that as you read Luke 24, can't you? Robert can feel it. As you read Luke 24, you can feel some of that dried-up hope. We had hoped. How could the stranger not know? How could the stranger not understand that all of their hopes had been dashed, that they were now in death and darkness as they walked? I wonder if you ever lose hope. Do you ever find yourself in a place where you have abandoned or lost hope? I mean, I think I frankly find myself there in certain times. You know, this past week we had a a tough week at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. We buried Billy Shaftsma, someone that that you know. I believe he was a deacon here at Christ Community Church. I mean, this was a time of really substantial mourning that we spent. All throughout the wake, on Tuesday as people came through, that was a tough day. On Wednesday when we buried him and when we had the funeral service remembering him, this was a time of mourning. 
But something that's amazing is that it wasn't a time without hope. And here's the reason. For the world, we have this understanding that all of our hopes can be stolen away by death, right? That if we hope in, in something, that it can be taken away when there's a death. That was the case with these two disciples as they walked along the road to Emmaus, right? They had hoped in Jesus, but that hope needed to be gone, right? Because Jesus was dead. Jesus had died. Therefore, their hope was gone. But one of the amazing things about being a Christian is that death can't steal your hope. Death can't steal your hope. Because as these two disciples were walking, they felt themselves caught up in death, but they were walking with the Lord of life. They felt like they were being enveloped by darkness, but they were walking with the one who was the light. You see, Jesus provides hope in death, through death, after death, and Jesus shows them that he was alive, that their hope was not dead, their hope was living, and in fact was deeper and broader than they could have imagined. And that's what Jesus shows in his sermon. And this is so important, because in the midst of the death that that we have experienced over the course. At Orland Park CRC, we've lost six people in the last four weeks. There have been six deaths in the last four weeks. It's been a time of death. And this is great sadness to us, but it's not a time that takes away our hope because God saves from death through Christ Jesus, and that's what Jesus is about to show these disciples with the sermon that he is about to preach to them here in Luke 24. Jesus comes and walks next to these men as they're on the way to Emmaus, And he begins his sermon. He begins an exposition of Scripture. He begins a message that turns everything on its head for these disciples and for us disciples who are willing to listen today. Jesus explains that the whole of the Scriptures, now he's talking about the Old Testament at this point, none of the New Testament Scriptures had been written at the time that Jesus was having this conversation with these disciples. So when he talks about the Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament He opens them up and talks about each section of the scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the writings. He opens up to show these disciples that it was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He explains to these disciples that the whole Bible is about him. They were about the fact that Jesus would come to earth that he would live, that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would be raised on the third day. Incredibly specific about what Jesus had come to do. We don't know the passages that he opened up to them specifically, but we know that the Old Testament uses the Old Testament, and so we can draw and develop some of the themes that the New Testament develops when it talks about Jesus in the whole of Scripture. We know in Genesis 3.15 that the serpent would bruise the offspring of the woman's heel, but that the serpent's head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. This is about Jesus. In Genesis 3.15, we're told the gospel that Jesus would come, his heel would be bruised, but he would crush the head of the serpent. David cries out 
in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then specifically talks about the things that would happen to Christ Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22 is incredible. If you read it again after the message today, you'll be like, my word, all the way back when King David's writing, he is prophesying about what's going to be taking place at the cross. Abraham reaches a mountain on the third day to sacrifice his son Isaac, but a ram is sacrificed in his place, showing us about the sacrificial death and perhaps even third day resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah spends three days inside the belly of a fish, and this points to the three days that Christ will be in the grave. The whole scriptures are foretelling the fact that Christ Jesus is going to live, die, and then be raised again from the dead. And if we have eyes to see, I think all creation tells us that same thing. Now in this, I'm just speculating, but I think that this is a holy, biblical, God-ordained speculating, I hope, but you're going to you're gonna have to think through this with me. It seems to me that every day, we have a reminder of death and resurrection. Every day as the sun goes down in the evening and there's something of a death and darkness comes for the extent of the night and then it is driven away by the sun coming up the next morning, we're reminded of a death and resurrection. I think the seasons tell us about death and resurrection. Every winter comes and the leaves fall off. Elsie's waving at everybody as she's leaving the sanctuary now. <laughs> Every winter comes and the snow comes, the leaves fall in the fall, right? The trees seem to die, everything goes underground, everything's covered by snow. It seems to all of us that the world has died. You know, in Illinois it can last five, six, seven, eight months, you know, winter. But it doesn't matter how long the winter is because... One day, the weather starts breaking and getting warmer, and you can start seeing green on the trees. Everything comes back to life. Creation itself tells us about death and resurrection. The Bible tells us about death and resurrection, and Jesus says that it's all about him. Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, that everything about death and resurrection was foretold in Scripture. What these two disciples were hoping for on the road to Emmaus, what they were hoping for, Jesus is like, you know what, I'm going to offer you something deeper. You wanted me to restore Israel? I'll restore your soul. You wanted me to redeem Israel from the Romans? I'll redeem you from death and sin and the devil. Jesus is showing that the Bible is offering to these disciples and it's offering to us all something deeper than we could hope for. And the whole Bible is about that. Jesus is giving these disciples and is giving us the key to understanding the Bible. Without this key and Luke 24 that comes from Jesus, you and I are never going to understand the Scriptures right. And the key is that Christ came and suffered and died and was raised again on the third day, and all of this was in accordance with the Scriptures, and all of this was for you if you trust in Jesus. The Bible is a book about the saving work of Jesus. The Bible is a beautiful drama of the redemption of that Christ Jesus provides. The Bible, from the very beginning, is about Jesus. is about a Savior who will come to save us from sin.
The Bible in Genesis 3.15 tells about Jesus coming. The Bible at the very end in Revelation 21 tells us about Jesus coming back. And all of the Bible from that point in Genesis to the end point in Revelation is the story of Jesus. It's the drama of the redemption of God, of God redeeming a people for himself. Okay, so why is this all important? Well, it's important for, understand, for us to understand what the Bible is about because, uh, I mean, this is God's Word. This is God speaking to us in His Word, and it's important for us to get right in our minds and in our heads what this book, what this Bible is all about. And so there are a couple ways that people sometimes think about the Bible, and there are aspects of truth in each one of these, but let me just talk about how it's not, it's not total. So sometimes people will think that the Bible is a set of maybe practical tips for everyday living. Now, the Bible has a lot of sections that are incredibly practical, but if you're looking to the Bible for practical tips from everyday living, you're going to miss a great deal of what Jesus is offering to you. If you read Luke 24 and you're like, all right, what are some practical tips in here? Like, maybe I should go walking more often, but that's not what Luke 24 is all about, right? Sometimes, sometimes we hear uh, that, that people make Jesus into, okay, like a what would Jesus do sort of situation, and I think that's a fine question to ask. You know it doesn't work in every situation, right? I mean, Jesus healed the sick. We can't always do that. I don't have the power to miraculously heal. I can't do what Jesus do, would do in that situation. Jesus went to a party and turned water into wine. I, I don't know how I would employ that myself, right? I, 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 am I supposed to bring wine to every party? I can't make water into wine. You know, maybe it would be that people would be like, all right, do you have wine at your wedding? It's like, no, but I invited a bunch of Christians, so I'm going to get a bunch of wine to show up at my wedding. I mean, there's limits to what would Jesus do, right? There's limits to that. It's an important question to ask, but the more important question is this, what has Jesus done? What has Jesus done? Now that, that is what the Bible's about. What has Jesus done? Oh, defeated sin. Defeated death. Defeated the devil. Offered you salvation. Forgiveness of sins. Everlasting righteousness. That's what Jesus has done. That's what the Bible is about. What has Jesus done? Sometimes people say that the Bible is a set of instructions. Maybe you've heard this as well. Uh, I, you know, B-I-B-L-E. Some people say it's basic instructions before leaving earth. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. There's a Christian contemporary music song about it that's, you know, not very good. Uh, and uh, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Again, there's instruction that takes place in the scriptures. But the scriptures are not chiefly a book about instructions. It's not an instruction manual. It is about Jesus. This book is the drama of Christ Jesus. This makes a difference in how it is that we live our lives because if we realize that Jesus is at the very center of the Bible and every part of it, right? Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus is at the center. It helps us to realize what kind of church we're called to be. It helps us to realize what kind of church Christ Community Church is called to be. That's why Christ Community Church must be a congregation that is relentlessly centered on Jesus. 
needs to be absolutely relentless in being centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we are grounded in Christ. That's why we are growing in Christ Jesus, because the entire Bible is the story of our Savior. The entire Bible is grounded upon Jesus Christ. Why in the world would we seek to do ministry in any other way other than a Christ-centered way? Christ Community Church needs to be a congregation that seeks to be shaped by the Word of God, and therefore a congregation where Jesus is at the center of each and everything we do. That's what we're called to by Luke 24. This is a church based upon the life and the death of the God-man who destroys death. That is why you can always hope. Never, ever, ever, ever lose hope. And let me try to bring this home just a little bit more. This means something for how it is that you live as well. Where is Christ in your life? Is he at the center? Is he at the center? Is Christ Jesus at the center of your life? And this is one of those questions that you have got to be honest with yourself about. Where is Jesus in my life? Is he at the center? Is he what you're grounded on? Is he your foundation? Is he your greatest hope? Is he the one that you are worshiping? Or is he an afterthought? Is your own thinking clouded because you don't have Jesus at the center? Or think about it this way. When you are, say you are in high school, or you're in college, and you're dating someone, what makes a good fit? Chemistry is good. Attraction is good. But what's got to be at the center is this. Does this person love Jesus more than this person loves anything or anyone else? If the answer is yes, then praise God. Keep dating that person. If the answer is no or, or if it's I'm not sure, then stop fooling with that person because that is not going to make for a good relationship or marriage if Christ is not at the center. Or to put it in another way, what is the ultimate hope of your life? What's the ultimate goal of your life? What do you believe in your heart of hearts that if you just had it or you just had a little more of it, that that would be enough, that you'd be whole? A little bit more money, a little better politics, a little more sex, more fame or power or prestige, just a bit more leisure, just a little more enjoyment, just a bit better reputation, just a, just a scotch more honor. I mean, what are the things in your own heart? Like, man, if I just had this, it'd be enough. If it's, if it's not Jesus, it's going to let you down. The center of the scripture is not about how to have a little more money or better politics or more sex or fame or power or prestige or leisure or enjoyment, honor or reputation. And therefore, that shouldn't be the center of your life. If the core is anything other than Christ Jesus, you're setting yourself up for for Failure. And this should imply what kind of preaching you hope for, too. I preached on Luke 24. What's the date today? Okay, it's the 9th today. So, it was seven years ago this Thursday that I started Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, that I came to be the minister there. And the first Sunday that I got up and preached in the morning, I preached from Luke 24. And one of the things that I promised the congregation then, and that I still seek to hold to now, as I said, as I am your pastor, I promise 
that in the power of the Spirit, I will do as much as I can to just give you Jesus week in and week out. I promise to preach the whole counsel of God. I promise to preach from the whole Bible, and I promise that wherever I'm preaching from, I'm going to give you Jesus. I'll tell you what, since our Bible is the story of Jesus, since our lives should be founded on Jesus, since our churches should be Christ-centered, it means that our sermons should give to us Jesus. It means that us as a congregation here, right, at Christ Community Church, it means all of you should expect a minister preaches Christ, not himself, not his own inclinations or ideas, but gives you Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. We need that from our preachers. And so, in terms of whatever is next in the life that God has for Christ Community Church as a congregation, let me tell you something that it must be. It must be Christ-centered. It must be Jesus-focused. It must be centered upon the gospel. And any, and any minister that comes here in the future needs to be a Jesus preacher. And if he's not, stop fooling with him. Get him out of here. The Bible is about Jesus. Our churches need to be about Jesus. Our lives need to be about Jesus. And Jesus himself shows us that in Luke 24. It's time for me to wrap this up, but, but as I'm concluding here, it's worth noting one more thing. How did these men recognize Jesus at the end of Luke 24 here? Well, it was in the breaking of the, in the, breaking of the bread. It was by being fed by Jesus. We have the same thing. That we can recognize Jesus better when we come together and when we hear his word preached and when we hear Jesus given to us from every part of the scriptures, that we can recognize Jesus more and better when we come together and we partake of the Lord's Supper together. And so one of the things that I'm going to ask is please continue to come. Please continue to engage. Now, I know that some people can't, can't yet make it back to this physical space, and so I'm so thankful that there is the live stream and that you're watching today by live stream. I'm so thankful that there are ways to continue to engage, to continue to hear Jesus offered in the whole of scriptures. Please continue to do that, because if you don't, if you don't, you're not going to recognize him. Please continue as you are able to come here and to participate in the Lord's Supper, in the breaking of the bread, because as you do, as you do, you and I will recognize him better. You know, Barna says that one-third of practicing Christians have stopped connecting with the church in the midst of this pandemic. That is a striking figure. Third, and 50% of millennials. I, I, don't know, I don't know what is, is causing that, but here is a, a tough reality. If you disengage from the church, you just, you're not going to recognize Jesus. And so as these disciples recognize Jesus as he breaks the bread for them, we should do the same sort of thing. So please keep watching, even if it's weird to watch in your couch and your kids running around. I don't even if you're in your pajamas, I heard that that's nice, actually, to watch in your pajamas, please continue to engage. Because life's got to be all about Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
thank you so much for Christ Community Church. I pray that you would enable this congregation to be relentlessly centered upon your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that this would be a congregation that's grounded in Jesus, that grows in Him. We pray that you, that, that your Son, that Christ Jesus would be at the very core of each one of us individually. We pray that we would trust in Him, live our lives for Him, give ourselves to Him. We pray that you would claim all of our lives and sit upon the throne of our hearts We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, knowing that it's all about Him. Amen.